All right. Welcome back to the Rebuild Health and Fitness Podcast. Today, we welcome dietitian Becca King, who's found a niche in working with a lot of clients with ADHD, helping them solve their binge eating disorders and help building healthy relationships with food. Becca, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you guys for having me. I'm super no excited. <laughs> yeah, no, we're super excited to have you. I think uh, Kate stumbled across your profile and has spoken so highly of you for so long. So I'm glad we were finally able to get you on the podcast. Yes, yes. It's really cool. <laughs> so for those who haven't um, heard of you before, um, could you perhaps describe who you are, what you do in your sort of area of expertise? I am a dietitian and I also have ADHD. Um, and I again, work with people who struggle with disordered eating. Um, binge eating is commonly what I see with most of my clients. Um, but I do virtual coaching and kind of help them build a healthier relationship with food and their body. Um, I'm based out of Charlotte, North Carolina, all the way over in the States. I have a couple dogs as well. Fingers crossed. So they will stay <laughs> for the recording. So no, beautiful. I want to um, go into the nutrition side of things and how you deal with that with your with your clients soon. But perhaps you could just explain, like, what ADHD is and where these diagnoses come from. Yeah. Um, so I wrote out a definition, so I can have a good one because I'm not <laughs> definitely not a psychologist or psychiatrist yeah. or doctor. Um, but it is ADHD is a neurological disorder, um, and it impacts parts of the brain that help with planning, focusing and executing tasks. Um, the symptoms vary by subtypes. So there's three subtypes, inattentive, hyperactive, and combined. Um, and it often is more difficult to diagnose in um, girls and adults. So the inattentive type is like what people used to call ADHD or no ADD, sorry. ADD is kind of the inattentive type, but they rechange the definition so that it's just ADHD. And then there's three types. Um, there's nine symptoms for inattentive and combined and then, or inattentive and hyperactive. And then if you have the combined type, you have at least six of the symptoms from each of those two categories. Yeah. I found that. So I heard you speak about the, the sort of gender differences on a, on another podcast. And I found that like really interesting because growing up, all I could, all I can remember is only ever like guys being diagnosed with ADHD and those were the kids who are just like bouncing yeah. off the walls doing all that kind of stuff. And you said it's a little bit more hard to come by in or more, less noticeable in females to some extent. What sort of yeah. traits do perhaps male and female sort of differentiate from? Yeah. So I think with females, a lot of times, a lot of the symptoms are more internalized. So they don't, they're not as obvious. So like if you are hyperactive as a female, it might be more mentally hyperactive versus like bouncing around in your chair kind of thing. Um, and I think just the societal expectation of males versus females is kind of why um, women are more prone to masking their symptoms or doing things to make themselves look or appear like they are not struggling in any way. Um, females are more likely to struggle with or regu regulating their emotions um, and also, um, their symptoms tend to show up a little bit later in life, like during transition periods. So like for me, when I got diagnosed, it was like when I got to college and that nice supports that nice structure, my parents had built for me to just be busy all the time. And 
was gone and I didn't have anyone to make sure I was doing things. And that was when I was like, oh my gosh, I'm really struggling. Um, a lot of um, women will also get diagnosed um, when they hit like perimenopause and menopause. Um, so hormonal changes can also influence it. Um, and yeah, women are more like inattentive. So be like daydreamers or <laughs> very easily distracted. Um, seem like bored, those sorts of things. <laughs> Kate is feeling so attacked right now. <laughs> uh, I'm going through the diagnosis at the moment. So I'm seeing psychiatrists, which is how we found your profile because they really related to so many of the nutritional things. And Sean's coached me in nutrition. And it so, yeah, I can relate yeah. to most things you say. <laughs> <laughs> and quite quite often with people, um, with ADHD, they can become like hyper focused on certain things, which can be like a you know almost like a massive superpower. But when it comes to a nutritional side of things, it can almost be a little bit of a, a detriment to them as well. Is that correct? Yes, I think I know. Like even from my personal experience with disordered eating, it became like a hyper fixation for me. And like, and there's you can have perfectionist tendencies if you have ADHD. So it's like you want to do everything right and get it all perfect, and then it just becomes it can start to become more disordered than, than anything else. And do you see, do you find like with um, like there's a constant battle between them, like under eating and overeating, like you can be so involved or hyper-focused on something that you can not eat for a period of time. Then all of a sudden you're like, you find them, find yourself like overeating in other times of the day. Yes. Yeah. I call it the, like the ADHD binge restrict cycle. And um, a lot of times people either struggle with, um, time blindness or just getting really hyper-focused. And so it's like, I, you're just working and all of a sudden, you know, four or five hours have gone by and you haven't, haven't eaten anything. Um, so it is very normal kind of like swinging back and forth on a pendulum of like under eating to overeating. Um, a lot of my clients, it's not eating enough during the day, even if they're not on medication that suppresses their appetite. And then in the evening time, um, when they relax and everything, that's what's like, holy cow, I haven't eaten anything all day. And I need food like now at that point. And what role, I know, obviously you're not a doctor or anything like that, but maybe perhaps through your experience, how, how do do, how do the med- medications play a role in perhaps your appetite or how you regulate your own sort of, you know, your own diet? Yeah. So it, one of the potential side effects, so not everyone experiences it can be appetite suppression, um, because, People with ADHD, their brains have lower levels of dopamine. And so that medication makes increases the levels of dopamine in your brain, which, and dopamine is also involved with satiety. So you're not getting that message in your stomach that says, Hey, I need to eat. So you don't, a lot of my clients don't experience like a grumbling stomach or anything like that when they're on their medication. And so for me, it's helping them identify like other signs of hunger. Um, so that way they can actually eat on their medication um, and for people who struggle with binge eating, um, food can be a way to self-medicate or get dopamine. Yep. And so a lot of times when people get medicated, that desire to constantly eat all the time, um, kind of goes away and they're actually able, a lot of people will tell me like, I can actually listen to my body now because I'm not constantly seeking dopamine from food anymore. Now, if someone is struggling with, um, like binge eating in these types of scenarios, what are some strategies that you use to to help them sort of create a bit more level, a uh, bit more mindfulness around their day and their habits? 
Yeah. So I work from an intuitive eating framework. And so for that, it's really learning how to listen to their bodies. Um, I find that is really helpful to make sure that we're eating enough and eating regularly throughout the day, especially if binging, if you're binging at night, it's usually a sign you're not eating enough during the day. So making sure that you're eating regularly um, and then identifying what your, if you do binge eat, what your binge triggers are, whether that is the dopamine piece or it's negative emotions or other unmet needs that are triggering that. And then being able to work through those triggers. You, you touched on it just uh, just before in, intuitive eating. Um, I know it's sort of a term that's like incredibly, incredibly valuable, but it's been sort of thrown around a lot in some, oh, yeah. like some people have just sort of clung to the term and not used in the exact right ways. How would you define intuitive, intuitive eating? So, it really is like a, it's a self-care framework, um, that integrates instinct, emotion, and rational thought. Um, but I think for people with ADHD, it kind of removes the like should around like eating, like being able to just kind of get curious and explore a way of eating that works for you and makes you feel your best. Because I think most people often assume it's like, if I eat intuitively or don't have food rules, like I'm going to eat cake and cookies and pizza 24 yeah. seven. And it's like, Yes, but if you ate that food 24-7, how would you feel? And most people are like, oh, I wouldn't feel, I would feel terrible. Like I wouldn't feel good at all. <laughs> and so I think that piece gets kind of missed, especially like on the social media side of where intuitive eating is often presented. It's like, oh yeah, you can just eat whatever you want. And so people are like, well, I'm just gonna eat all this stuff, but wouldn't make me feel good. And it's like, yeah, the more you get connected with your body, it's like I would rather eat things that are gonna make me feel good versus things that are making me feel bad. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, exactly what I've sort of seen. There's the pros and there's the cons, but you need, I find with, you know, with our clients, as we start to encourage a bit more intuitive eating, they've got to be sort of coached along the way and under like learn those hunger fullness cues and be able to sort of self-regulate that way rather than go, you know, feel like a pizza, have a pizza whenever you want. Like it goes the extremes, (laughs) right? Um, You can do that. Yeah. 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 Like, but make you feel or how's it you know how's it going to help you get through a workout or focus or do those things and then it's like oh yeah maybe i don't want don't want that every single day or all the time (laughs) and how would you encourage intuitive eating amongst your clients in terms of like some of your first steps to begin the process i think ditching the diet mindset or moving away from dieting can be the really a really helpful first step with things Um, because I think that's like kind of the first piece to be able to start doing those things. Cause a lot of times if you are dieting, it's going to clash a lot with listening to your body. Um, especially if it's depending on the diet, if it's super restrictive, um, you know, it's not telling you to listen to your body. So I think looking at how dieting influences your relationship with food. Um, and oftentimes when people start look at that it's like oh yeah this has not really helped me with my relationship with food in the long term so and I think to the looking at the piece of like um how dieting doesn't work long term and understanding some of the science with that too I think at least for me was really helpful with being like oh I don't have to do that anymore because it's not gonna keep it's not gonna help me in the long term would you encourage almost like a a thoughts and feelings sort of journal around meal time Yeah. And I have like, yeah, checking in with yourself, you know, around meals and just identifying like what 
some of your diet tools might be, whether it's counting things, um, measuring things, using the scale as like a marker of whether you're doing good or bad. Um, and even just like sort of diet mindset things. Cause sometimes my clients will be like, Oh, I don't really, didn't really realize I'm like doing that of like, I'm going to intentionally, you know, I'm only going to allow myself to order the lowest calorie thing on the menu, even if it's not what I want to eat or, um, I'm trying to think of other ones or like pushing off eat hung, eating as long as possible, but then they end up being ravenous and binging. So kind of starting to identify some of those things. And if you feel comfortable starting to challenge them or working with a professional on kind of on unlearning some of those things so yeah. that you can learn to listen to your body again. Yeah. And that, and that, and that's a big challenge, right? Because there's like most clients I've, I've worked with, I'm sure you're in a similar boat have tried everything so they come come to us with a variety of different tools already in the tool belt and some ideas they really sort of cling to so it is a bit of a a battle to hit that essentially reset button because no one likes to feel like they've been doing the wrong thing but they wouldn't be coming to you if what they did was working right yeah or there for a lot of my clients they're already at the point of like i am so tired of dieting and i'm over it and for me so they're already at a like they're already motivated to start making some changes. And so that for them, it's a little bit easier because like, I just keep trying all these diets. None of them are working and they're just making me feel worse about myself. Um, and then when they hear about intuitive eating, they're like, okay, I'll give this a try. And I think just having, figuring out, looking at those different tools and seeing if, how it, how it makes you feel using those, um, how, if it allows you to actually listen to your body and what you need. I had a question around mindful eating because that's something I really struggle with Um, because I just feel like it's boring to sit and eat. And so I want to be like, I'm a fidgeter and I want to be like watching TV or reading my book or doing a puzzle or something while I'm eating. Do you have clients like that? And how do you overcome that? 100%. So I think that's where for folks who have ADHD or are neurodivergent, there are some kind of almost adapt things we need to do to be mindful. So sometimes we might need some sort of sensory input to be able to sit and eat. Cause it, to me, when I sit in dead silence and eat a meal, it's like, it makes my body feel like nails on a chalkboard. It's like that crazy, <laughs> like hurry. I'm like, let me hurry up and just shove this food in my mouth and go on to the next task. So for a lot of my clients, it is having like music on in the background or a podcast or even, a, the, even the TV sometimes, or sometimes doing something else to kind of make the task feel more, you know, make the task of eating feel more enjoyable. And then they're able to actually be more mindful. Um, other things that some of my clients find helpful is like using plates or utensils and things that are really pretty visually appealing, <laughs> pretty as silly as that might sound, but that way it's like, Oh, I can visually look at this and, um, it makes it a little bit more enjoyable. So, or having others to eat with sometimes too, I think can make at least the experience of eating, like figuring out ways to make it fun um, for you, whatever that might be, um, can make it a little bit easier to feel a little bit more mindful. Nice. Yeah, beautiful. I have to try that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll get you some. Yeah, I don't demonize. It gets demonized a lot of like, you should always eat like without any distractions, but it's like if your brain needs some distractions to actually help you focus, just like sometimes you need to fidget so that you can do your work. Um, it's the same kind of thing. Yeah. No, that's very, that's a very good point. I've never thought of it like that. It's very cool. Um, and what, what would be some of the perhaps other disordered eating traits you see with majority of your clients, perhaps around like 
food, like restricting of foods. You know, I know there's that whole thing around um, demonizing sugar, especially with like a like early diagnosed with with younger younger patients. But it doesn't. It's not actually backed up by any science. Just taking away all the yummy foods. Yeah, and it's like a lot of, um, and I appreciate there's a lot of doctors and psychologists out there who'll be like, like there is a place for sugar in your kids' eating patterns because it's like if they're looking for dopamine or stimulation from food, giving them vegetables is not gonna like it's not gonna do the same. (laughs) So, and I think it ends up a lot of my clients whose parents have did that when they were kids end up feeling out of control around sugar when they become adults because they weren't never taught how to eat it just like they're taught to eat the rest of the foods that they eat. So it kind of puts those sugar up on a pedestal and it makes our, it even more rewarding for our brains because it's an off limits food in a sense. Hmm. Um, other things I would say like skipping meals or snacks, if there isn't like a good or healthy option available. So people who have like black and white thinking a, a lot of times around food, if it's like, Oh, there is no, like I'd rather just not eat at all because there's not something healthy or good. And then they'll usually end up overeating or binging later on when they do that. Um, some people will use their ADHD meds as a tool for restriction because they suppress their appetite. Um, which is not the purpose of ADHD medication at all, um, I would say. And um, yeah, again, like cutting out food groups, I'd put sugar in there too, but gluten is another one and dairy, um, which those ones I think differ person to person. If you notice, like every time you eat dairy, it makes your symptoms worse or it impacts your GI tract. Like then it's something to consider. I don't think it needs to be like a blanket for everyone that you need to cut out a bunch of things because there isn't like a ton of strong research and even the studies that do show that there are some, a couple really restrictive diets, which like sound completely miserable to me, like eating a couple forms of like lean proteins, I think pears and like a couple other things, like maybe five or 10 foods on, on out of all yeah. the foods in the world. And like this diet isn't really transferable to the general population. So I'm like, why are we researching a diet that like no one in like their day-to-day life is able to, to do? So. Yeah, and I guess that's the, you know, part of the beauty of learning to become more mindful and intuitive, intuitively eat. Like, at the end of the day, we want to become, we are experts of our own body, yes. right? So if we can start appreciating what foods make us feel good and start eating more of those foods and cutting out the things that don't, then we're always going to end up on the, or somewhat of a better track anyway. Yeah, and I think when you start focusing on it in like an addition perspective or emphasizing the foods that make you feel good you don't feel deprived from foods that don't make you feel good so you're not always like you know like when you're dieting and those foods are you can't eat x y and z that's all you tend to want and it's like oh i can have that if i want it but is it going to make me feel good like donuts don't make me feel great so i don't eat donuts very often doesn't mean i can't have them if i want it but yeah. like it, i don't like how it makes me feel afterwards and it's not like on my list of foods that i'm like yeah let me go eat that all the time yeah <laughs> um just go just just wondering about your thoughts on like tracking calories with some of your ADHD clients like I, I can see how it works both ways and there'd be some positives and and negatives to it um what would what would some of the oh yeah what what are your thoughts on on that I don't love it I think that there's ways you can track what you're eating kind of like what we talked about with like 
you know, with journaling around meals, I think there's ways you can write out what you're eating, but it doesn't necessarily have to be from like a calorie perspective with things. Yeah. Um, And I think, you know, learning when it comes to hunger and fullness, like, you know, writing out what you ate for a meal and, you know, how long, you know, how, you know, how full did it make you? How long did you stay full for taking in information like that? Cause you're, you know, your hunger and fullness cues. If you're eating until you're comfortably full, you're probably meeting, meeting your needs. If you're exceeding your fullness levels, you're probably eating more than what you actually need. Um, and I think it is just learning to check in more with ourselves versus, you know, and that can help with building back trust. So I can see sometimes where it might be helpful as information. And I think it, it might vary. I should say, like, depending on what you do, like if you're someone who's super active or like doing some sort of training, you might need some more of that information maybe. Um, or if you're struggling with like maybe maintaining your weight and things like that, it might be something helpful. Um, I know for me, that was like, that was definitely the beginning of my disordered eating was like, let me track my calories. Um, and then it just became a hyper fixation and I got, <laughs> it got really bad. Um, so I think it, it varies or a lot of my clients will struggle with remembering to track what they eat and then feeling like, yeah. Yeah, guilt, then feel all the guilt and shame because you don't, you show up to, you know, if you're working with, you know, if you're working with a professional on your diet, then it's like you show up and they're like, so let me see your food journal. And you're like, I forgot to do it. I completely forgot, or I did half of it or whatever. And so I think there can make it, it can make you feel like you're failing in some way, shape or form. I think pictures too, can be a great way yeah, definitely. Um, of tracking. If you, if writing everything out and it's not necessarily like, Ooh, this is how many calories I had, but it can help you be like, Oh, you know, this meal didn't fill me up for very long. So maybe next time I'll add some more some more of maybe part of that meal or add something to it so that I'll stay fuller for longer next time. Yeah, exactly. Like there's always pros and cons to everything. I guess, guess when it comes to tracking, it's not always from a weight loss perspective. Like you said, it can come from a educational standpoint or importance for sometimes performance athletes or even just basic habit, habit forming, bringing awareness to, yeah, bring, bringing awareness to previous habits. Yeah. Um, I heard you say, yeah. oh, sorry, go. And I think just knowing that your energy needs do change on like a day-to-day basis. So it's like having like one, like, oh, I'm going to eat X amount of calories. And there's like one specific number. It's like, it, there's a range there that like, it's okay to be, you know, of what your needs might be. And so I think that sometimes like the tracking apps kind of frustrate me with that. Cause it's like, here's one number. And I'm like, but you don't actually know what that person's needs are for that specific, specific day. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I heard you say on um, an, another podcast talking about um, like pr- practical eating, like making yeah. uh, checking in with yourself and making a meeting meeting for you, uh, making a meeting with yourself. Why why is that important? So I think especially if you struggle with recognizing hunger cues, that's where practical hunger comes in. So it's like eating when you might not be hungry, but knowing that you need to eat so that you're not ravenous later. So for a lot of my ADHD clients, I'll talk about it. Like when they're on medication of like, you might not feel hungry, but you know that when your meds are off, you're going to be ravenous later. And so I think it allows you to pair your logic with your intuition, but I think it also helps like 
helps you pause and actually create time because for a lot of ADHDers, like, let me just get going and going and going with my day. And then all of a sudden it's like, I haven't taken care of myself. I haven't eaten anything. I barely drank any water. Like I'm super behind on all these things. So I think blocking off time or having a meeting with yourself is a great way to check in and nourish your body and just see what else you might need to like you might notice like, oh yeah, I haven't drank water or I haven't talked to anyone all day and I should call someone um, or I should get up and move and stretch or something like that. So, And would you say that, um, would you recommend like prepping meals for some of your clients or is that more like, would that be become a little bit more difficult for them if they're a bit, Most bit old? of my clients have don't find me like the traditional meal prep mm. of like, I'm going to spend hours in the kitchen on Sunday, making yeah. something to eat for the week. Um, they'd struggle with that just in general. And then a lot of people have the novelty of food because ADHDers seek out novelty or new things. And so if you're eating the same exact thing every single day, um, usually you're going to get bored of it. Um, or if people have sensory, sensory sensitivities around food, um, by day two or three, that food texture or aroma or things like that might be off and they're really turned off by it. Um, but I do have people who tell me that they live by meal prep. Um, so I think it depends. I would just say like the majority of people are like meal prep doesn't work for me. And so I think it's yeah. working around, around that. Um, and finding like, I do like mini versions of meal type prepping of like, sometimes I'll just cook protein in bulk. Cause I don't, love cooking protein and then I can just throw it in whatever I'm making. So I'm finding shortcuts, I think is a huge, or what people call it convenience foods, but certain things like a 90 second bag of rice is a game changer for me. And I know I can get, cause I don't like dealing with the cleanup of, I'm really not good at dishes all the time. So cleaning things up is a, is a struggle and like waiting for, I mean, and I'm not very patient. So waiting for water to boil is pain. <laughs> <laughs> so I think being okay with using some things that um I'm not necessarily saying like eating like super highly processed foods, but like having some things that just make the cooking process easier for you. So if you notice like I hate chopping vegetables and that means I like, don't use the vegetables in my fridge, then maybe it's buying some that are already pre-cut or the same thing with like fruit. Um, or even just buying like individual servings of things and stuff like that. So it's quick and easy. Yeah. Freezer meals were a game changer for me because I do that all day, forget to eat, and I come home and I'm about, I need something right now. And yeah. so, um, James and Sean were like, get freezer meals. They're an easy solution. Why yeah. wouldn't you? And yeah. so they are the quickest. Like, yeah, they soothe my ADHD brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think freezer meals, even like the meal prep services that'll like make them from you for you and you just have to pop them in the microwave or even just the ones that send you all the ingredients. So you don't have to like do the grocery shopping piece of things can be other like tools that make it just a little bit easier. So. Yeah. There's some really, really great options out there now compared to what there, there used to be. There used to be like lean cuisine and that was it. There's like, yeah, yeah there's so, so many options. Yeah. There's a, there's a ton and there's, and I think that part's really cool even just like freezer meals, freeze, frozen food, like frozen fruits and vegetables. If you struggle, if they tend to go bad in your fridge before you use them, the frozen ones are, are great. And they're actually just as nutritious as eating yeah. something that's fresh. 
So I think that often gets missed because everyone's like, frozen fruits are bad. And then it's like, yeah, but actually like flash frozen vegetables and fruit are not, not bad. There's nothing added to them. <laughs> and what would be perhaps maybe three to five um, tips for someone with ADHD who struggles with their nutrition? Yeah, I would say um, getting curious and just exploring what works for you without judgment. So, you know, maybe it is having freezer meals. Maybe it's setting reminders or alarms so that you can remember to eat throughout the day. Um, or maybe it's, maybe you have a different eating pattern than like your partner or your friends. Um, but that works for you. Like some people benefit from eating, you know, a larger breakfast and dinner and then like grazing more throughout the day. Um, cause eating larger meals on their meds just isn't realistic for them. Um, and I think removing the idea of like what you should do to be healthy of like, oh, you should, you should meal prep or you should be able to cook everything that you eat from scratch. The other tips I would say like, yeah, removing the idea of like what you should do. So like giving yourself the permission, like if you need to order takeout one night, cause you don't have like the mental capacity or the executive function to make a meal for yourself, like giving yourself the permission to do things that work for you. Um, keeping ready to eat foods on hand is a big one. Um, and I would say eating every three to four hours, cause that's going to help keep your blood sugar levels stable, um, which is good for our overall health. Um, but it also can help with managing ADHD symptoms. Cause a lot of times when we have big peaks and dips in our blood sugar, that tends to be when we have more ADHD symptoms. I think that's why also why sugar gets demonize me sometimes because it does cause those big sugar can cause some sugar crashes. Um, and I would say if you're really struggling, finding a professional, like a nutrition professional who is, has experience with ADHD and just asking them before you work with them, even if it's not something that they specialize with in of just asking them if they have experience, whether it's a lived experience or actual experience with clients with around ADHD. Cause a lot of times the eating struggles that people with ADHD have is more around the how <laughs> and the actual doing piece than the knowledge. I find most of my clients are very intelligent and know a lot about a lot of things, even nutrition. And so it's not that they don't know what to eat. It's being able to actually do what they want and to get the, the outcome that they're looking for. So I think looking at the how, you know, piece of the puzzle is really a big part. Yeah. Do you have any tips? Like I have, when I work from home, I get what I think is just like, I want a hit of dopamine. And so I'm like, oh, I'm hungry. I'll go for a walk. Like I'm going to go to the kitchen and it might, like I've already had lunch. I'm not hungry per se, but I just want that hit. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's like, oh, well, I'll just play a game and I get that satiety. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think figuring out other tools for stimulation. So like I tell my clients, like it's totally fine to eat for stimulation, trying to be as mindful as possible when you do it to like savor, you know, the taste and enjoy the texture. Cause a lot of people will find like crunchy foods, really stimulating or sweets and carbs stimulating. And so I think having that mindful experience, so you can maximize the reward or the dopamine from that can help. And then just finding other tools. Like I always have fidgets around on my desk when I'm working. Um, and then like, these are, it sounds really childish, but if like, you just feel the need to like chew, um, or like some people find like oral, like more instead of hands, like more of like an oral stimulus, um, they have like jewelry that you can buy. So it's like chewable jewelry. It's like 
silicone. No way. <laughs> yeah. And um, it used to be more for like kids, um, um, especially with ADHD and autism, but they've started making more like adult looking ones. Um, so if you're at home or one of my clients is like, I'm going to use that when I drive because <laughs> like, I always feel like the need to eat like when I'm driving. And so I think finding other things or like movement is a really great source of dopamine. So I think that too, finding ways to move that make that you enjoy or that make you feel good. Like I will dance and dance in my living room sometimes, um, or just get up and walk around. Um, games are rewarding. Um, I'm trying to think what else. I like I the think one. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. I do puzzles too. I like puzzles. I feel like I get a little dopamine every time you get a piece in. I'm like, oh, that's the stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. I could, I need, I wish I had a big enough, I don't have a big enough table in my apartment for one, but like I love, yeah, I grew uh, growing up, it would be, my mom would do puzzles in the winter, winter time, and I would stay at so late being like, just one more piece. <laughs> <laughs> Just one more. And it's like, you need to go to bed. It's like, no, I need to finish or I need to get like whatever part of the puzzle done. But yeah, anything you find rewarding can be stimulating. So things like that are awesome and great. So. And if someone um, is listening to this podcast and they're sitting there going, holy shit, I think I've got ADHD. <laughs> what yeah. would be some next steps for them? Um, it depends on where you live. Um, in the U S you have to see, like, uh, you have to get special testing done. Um, I'm sure it's probably similar in Australia. Um, but basically, um, usually you can ask like your primary care provider or like your physician, um, to, um, refer you to someone, um, or you can always go online. I know in the U S attitude, um, is a website that you can search for providers as well as chad.org. I'm not sure um, about in Australia, if there's any like organizations that do that sort of work. Um, but you can always search at least online, like how to find, you know, an ADHD specialist um, that way. And then they can, you know, you can get evaluated. I know in other countries like UK, it's like a year long I think it's a year or longer. About that here, I think it's eight or nine month wait list for psych- psychiatrists at the moment. Yeah, it's it it's crazy to me. I'm like, that's so frustrating because if you're really struggling, like even if with other things too, it's like, don't wait that yeah. long. I think that um, there was some studies about the pandemic really unleashed um, an influx of diagnoses and people wanting answers because they were working from home. So they're, whole routine was changed and then there were mental health struggles. So they were seeking out um, a professional and seeing a psychologist. And like my psychologist then referred me to a psychiatrist because she's like, you are running yourself into the ground. You are a textbook ADHD. And so then it was from there, it was just like mental health stuff turned into diagnosis. Yeah. And I think, yeah, a lot of people have had that experience. Someone asked me a question about that today on Instagram. They're like, is this just like the trendy thing now? I just got diagnosed. I was like, your algorithm might be making you think it's trendy because you might be seeing it more. Um, but yeah, I think the structure and the routine and everything um, getting taken away for a lot of people, a lot of the masking and like tools and strategies that they had in place to manage things just got ripped away. And they're like, I don't know how to function anymore. Um, and it, you know, and it, 
and it's frustrating because you're like, I should be able to do all the things. And it's like, no, it's okay. If you can't do all the things, like all of your tools and strategies got kind of like disappeared. And it's easy to hide, you know, when you have a busy job, right? So I'm just busy because I have a lot of things that I do. And you're like, yeah, Yeah. but why are you busy? Did you create that environment for yourself? Like I have three jobs and I'm in five basketball teams. Plus I do CrossFit. Like I'm a crazy person and it's like people go, oh, you're just so busy. And I'm like, yeah, but I did this to myself and I don't know why. Yeah. It's like, I can't sit still. I don't like yeah. <laughs> just sitting still having like nothing to do or like having that, that structure. Like for me, that was like, I was always really busy growing up. Like my mom had me in sports and I was in school and doing all of the things. So I always had something to do pretty much. And then when I got to college and I didn't have that and someone guiding me I was like whoa what's going on I can't do the things anymore so it's definitely I think a common unfortunately a common experience yeah yeah definitely but um we definitely appreciate you sitting still for us today <laughs> luckily it's the end of the day for me so I you're all worn out <laughs> <laughs> so that helps <laughs> if um if people I was just going to say, if people love listening to you as much as we have, um, where can they where can they find you and what's next for you? I am prime, most active on Instagram, so you can find me at, at ADHD.nutritionist. Um, next for me in the future, hopefully, is going to be, I want to start an ADHD like eating membership sort of thing so I can have a um, more accessible option for more people. Oh, awesome. Um, cool. Yeah super excited about that so hopefully that's in the future soon so that's my end of the year yeah put that up and running so but yeah um for anyone listening to this i highly recommend uh becca's instagram it's good fun watch you're always putting out plenty of entertaining content it's very cool thanks yeah it's it's so funny to me because like i if you saw my personal instagram it is I barely ever post anything. And if I do, it's like my dogs or like maybe a food picture or something random. (laughs) But like, and I was, I just, when I was in grad school, I saw dietitians on Instagram. I was like, that's so cool. I'd love to do that. And then the pandemic gave me the opportunity to start doing it. So look at you now. (laughs) I never thought I was like, Hmm, I guess I know how to do this. Like, (laughs) it's still weird. Cause like my friends will like, like I saw your your reel or your this and like or I watched you on like an Instagram live. I'm like, oh, that's so awkward. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like a persona. Yeah, like it's totally like my norm. Like I try to be my real self on like on Instagram, and um, I don't really try to be someone I'm not. So, but it's still weird when people are like, yeah, I watched you. I'm like, it. I let it's I'm not used to interacting with people that I know or like someone from like high school or college like commenting on one of my posts and I'm like oh that's 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 weird (laughs) (laughs) so but thank you guys so much for having me I really appreciate you guys creating space for talking about ADHD and and eating oh our pleasure yeah we loved it